Shallowy driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect! Graham Zussi! Shallowy knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather. Now your host, Nate Bucati. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content, typically we're just audio only this week, so you don't get to see our beautiful faces, even the incredibly handsome, yes I said it, Connell McCourt. I feel like I got to make up for it, you know, after some shade too I might have thrown his way. Yeah, <laughs> you should have seen the smile that just oh. creeps across his face here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, I love you, Connell. You know, I think you're a handsome uh, ginger uh, bearded man. But uh, we do have Connell McCourt and Ali Trost with us, and we are presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it. If you enjoy it, you just have to settle for our beautiful voices this week. But we do have a big-time show coming up for you today. We're going to have a long-form conversation with Tom Bogart, who does a tremendous job covering Major League Soccer and the U.S. Men's National Team. And guess what? We've got a lot to talk about on both fronts with him coming up on the show. But first off, guys, how are we? Everybody doing all right after the weekend? Doing good. Great. I mean, coming off of two big wins for Sporting Kansas City in one week in which they, what, outscored their opponents 7-1 to one in those two games combined. So uh, just another example of, of this team really uh, in incredible form. But unfortunately, too, it's bittersweet. Too little, too late. Sporting Kansas City out of the playoffs, but continuing the excellent form that they've been in since the start of August. Well, that's it. And it just seems like they've ran it a road. I mean, they've, they've really got their their... What it's blank in check, and it, you know things are starting to move now. It kind of looks like they coming towards the end of the season. They could be a real handful. I wouldn't. I don't think any of the teams that are in playoff positions at the minute on eight, both sides, both conferences would really fancy coming to Sporting to play at the minute. But unfortunately, they kind of just ran out of room and left it a bit too late. There's a there's a famous old Vince Lombardi quote that's just been ringing in my ears over the past couple of weeks with Sporting Kansas City. He said, we never lost a game. We just ran out of time. And it, it feels like you said your term was run out of road there, Connell. That's what has happened to Sporting Kansas City this year. They turned things around. They are a very good soccer team right now. Unfortunately, it came to, for one reason or another, whether it's getting your P1 visas in time, all that stuff. They just ran out of time, and it was uh, whatever the opposite is of backing into the playoffs. You know, that's when you lose a game, but you still get into the playoffs at the end because somebody else lost. They, like, backed out of the playoffs. They won a game but got eliminated because the L.A. Galaxy went out and took care of business, and we all thought that was coming at some point down the road. But before we get into all that stuff, guys, let's talk about this game in specific. Sporting Kansas City 4 Minnesota United won, and the dominance in the nicest rivalry in sports over Minnesota, at least in the regular season, 
at Children's Mercy Park is incredible. 7-0-0 for Sporting Kansas City now. And I believe that the goal differential is now 19-2 yep. in those seven games for Sporting Kansas City. Allie, you first. You were on the sideline. What did you make of this performance from SKC? Just absolutely dominant, right? I, I mean, it's been incredible to watch how this team has turned things around, particularly in front of goal, and how that has also in turn helped the defensive side as well, which I think is, you know, another uh, conversation that needs to be had in talking about sporting success. It, it's, it's also showed up on the defensive side as well. But I mean, Willie Agata and, and Eric Tommy, what more can you say about what they bring to this game? And I just thought that the ways in which the goals happened. Um, I mean, of course, you know, the first one, an own goal, but Eric Tommy's goal was one of my favorite goals of the season. Um, that, that first touch? That, it was incredible. And then Willie Agata's header that Peter Vermees just called a brave goal. He compared Willie Agata to Mo Johnson as, you know, the only other player he can think of that would go up for a header like that. Uh, I think it just, you know, this game, I think, said a lot about what we've already been saying about both of those players but it culminated in a way that I, I think just showed that no these guys are they're legit they're the real deal and they're going to continue to bring great things to the field and, and to this team so I, I'd say my reaction was you know one of hey it's great to see this team continuing their success against a a good team in Minnesota, one that came into the game in pretty poor form, missing some key players, uh, but still a team that's very much in playoff contention. They're above the line. Um, it, it was, though, a game and down there on the field. And, Nate, I think I jumped in the broadcast with this at one point. It was a game that even at 3-1 when Minnesota pulled one back, I think the 51st minute, it felt a lot closer than that for a good chunk of that second half. Um, and, and that was – that was maybe my, my biggest takeaway was, you know, it, the scoreline didn't, I think, show how close the game felt at times, especially uh, in the second half. Sporting did kind of end up running away with it in the end, the 4-1. I mean, the fourth goal was, it felt like, okay, that was, this that was game is, yeah, yeah, that was a killer. That was the killer for sure. But I mean, uh, of course, shout out to Van Sweat as well for the ball in for Willie Agato's <laughs> goal. But the defense as well. Yeah, got to talk I'm, about the distribution as well because some of those balls into the box and the assists were magic. But we've been focusing a lot on Willie Agata and uh, Eric Tommy for the last few weeks. And for good reason. Like, they have been the main catalyst. No matter what way you spin it, they've been the catalyst for the season kind of turning upside down. Of course, getting other players used to playing with each other and stuff obviously helps as well. But I'm glad you mentioned the defense. It's important that they get a shout-out. Like, they conceded one uh, at the weekend, zero against DC, zero against Houston, two against LA Galaxy. They've kind of been locked in for the last few weeks. Andrew Fontas played. So he started out left centre-back and then with EC and then uh, moved, moved over to right when Burt came in uh -huh. and then back over to the right, back over to the left again when Courtney comes in. Yeah. He's having to play three different... And Peter talked about that too. He said, you know... Seldom do you see a left center back moving or, you know, center backs switching sides like that. And then he was kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, I think we're the first to do it in the world. Like he was kidding, <laughs> right. obviously. I mean, but no, it, it we, is a, that is a, a huge upside with Fontas. We had two left footed center, center backs uh, the weekend for a, a certain period of time with Bert and, and uh, Fontas. And 
I think for my money, left sided centre back is the hardest position to find in world in in the game of soccer. It's very hard to find a left sided centre back who can play the ball out the way Fontas does, and just it kind of seems like the defence are all kind of on the same wavelength at the minute, and obviously it's shown because they're not really conceding goals. The thing that I would add to that is the consistent presence of a workhorse playing the number six in Remy Voltaire. Yep. Um, you know, we, we talk about, you mentioned it, Connell, again, that, you know, the catalysts of this entire turnaround have been Agata and Tommy. I think that can be misinterpreted when we say that by a lot of people to think, well, the rest of the team's just being carried along by these two guys. That's not the point, right? The point is those were two gaping holes in, in, the, in the squad, and once those holes were filled, not just with anybody, but with two really good players who have hit the ground and, and exceeded probably our expectations, it's allowed everything else to fall into place. And sporting, you know, I, I have a, a very strong bias toward the number six and how important I think that role is for any team. I think it's the most unsung position in the sport of soccer and maybe the most important because it allows you to play that you need to pl- the way you need to play. And we can still have a debate as to whether or not Remy Voltaire is truly a number six. I don't think he sees himself, at least not coming into this season, as a true number six. I think he sees himself as a guy who can play the number six. But until Eric Tommy got here, which solidified the two attacking portions of the midfield and allowed Remy Voltaire to drop to the number six and be that guy every single day and develop a rapport with the center backs and connect to the rest of the team, there was such a a missing piece in that regard. And that position does so much to put those defenders in better positions, right, Mm -hmm. to keep them from being put in horrible positions where they concede goals. And I think that 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 knock-on effect of Tommy coming in, which allows Voltaire to drop back there, you can't question whether or not he's got the work ethic, right, (laughs) to cover the ground to play that position. And he just seems to have grown in his confidence there and in his relationship with all of those players. I think that might be the most underrated portion of what's gone so right for Sporting Kansas City since the start of the month of August. No, I I completely agree. And, you know, I think one thing that should be talked about a little bit more with Remy Voltaire is the fact that, you know, he has had to flip between an eight and a six a number of times. And he's shared how difficult that is as well. Can you imagine just with his soccer IQ and his ability? I mean, we've talked about how much ground he's covered and how much he's grown in that number six role. And and even before he's gotten to this point, um, you know, with the new additions, like he was still having really fantastic games at different points earlier this season as well. Like, can you imagine an entire offseason where if Sporting Kansas City do want to move forward with him as their primary guy at the six, like you have a whole offseason for him to work with Kerry Zavagnin to develop even more in that position with a whole offseason under his belt and a whole preseason under his belt versus, hey, sometimes in a single game flipping from one position to the other or from week to week having to go back and forth. I mean, that's really tough for any player because – your responsibilities on the field are, are changing week to week. And he's a guy who's shown that he can handle that, but there's going to be a point where you can flourish so much more when you're able to really hone in on, on one spot and one position on the field. I think we, we kind of seen Peter, Peter likes him further up 
uh, likes to play Remy. Or he for, said for, that. For, he said that in the past. He, he likes him to be up. But he didn't have Eric Tommy at that point. The, correct. And with Remy now playing the six, I, Nate, you mentioned it, is is you can't question his work ethic. I mean, every single game we're putting out the stats. I mean, going into the game on Saturday, uh, distance covered, Remy Voltaire, top of the pops, 206 miles over the season, which comes to 6.7 miles a game. And I think he, him and Tommy were... Uh, on equal footing again uh, uh, with the game at the weekend so he's just a workhorse he'd run all day for you and he can play and with him being that in that number six role kind of shielding the defense and kind of breaking up everything that's coming towards him it's given Agata or uh, sorry Tommy and who Roger on the other side a, a bit more of a chance to go forward and be a bit more creative and you, we've seen the rewards you can get from it yeah and one other thing I, I want to point out too and just talking about um you know, the Eric, Eric, Tommy and Willie got the new additions, elevating the game of others around them. You know, it's helped a player like Remy Voltaire. It's also, as we've talked about, helped the wingers out as well. I mean, watching the, the uh, chemistry between Daniel Shallowy, Ben Sweat and Eric Tommy on that left-hand side grow has been really fun to watch. It's resulted in some really good build-up play, mm-hmm. um, some really dangerous chances created up that left-hand side. I mean, Ben Sweat's delivery has been on point in recent weeks and Pain's you know he told me he told me you know after the game that he and Willie you know have worked consistently in training he's like hey man like I if I deliver the ball in the box you know 11 times I'm gonna find you at least once mm-hmm. you know we're and you know you see um just the way that his play is elevated having a, a target like Willie Agata in the box to play to even on Eric Tommy's goal I mean that that run from Johnny Russell maybe before you've got a guy like Eric Tommy that you can distribute the ball to in that moment Johnny just runs out of real estate and the ball gets cleared away. Maybe it gets knocked behind for a corner. But having that option for Johnny Russell now, I mean, mm-hmm. just the crosses into the box have gotten so much more dangerous because you've got so many more threats coming up the middle of the pitch. And it, it's it's alleviated things for the wingers. Uh, it's made the team more dangerous and has resulted in some really quality chances that eventually just gets too difficult. If, if sporting's on, it's you're not going to keep him out of the back of the net. You just can't rush to close Tommy down. And I think when teams start to, yeah. to recognize that, it's going to free him up for more first-time shots. But he is so calm and collected in and around the penalty area when the ball comes to him. He has that little fake shot, and his first touch off that fake shot is immaculate to set him up for the second one. It's incredible. And I want to go back to what you said about Agata. When, when Peter Vermees used the term bravery going for that header – and then we show we had a great replay of it on the broadcast. There was a, a close-up where you could see the look in Willie Agata's eyes as he was tracking that ball in, and he comes flying in for that header. And it occurred to me, and I, I want to talk to him about this at some point in time. There's there's an old an old phrase that, that I heard that uh, you know that bravery is not the absence of fear; it is being afraid, but doing it anyway. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what that's what the definition of bravery is. If you're not, it, you know, bravery's not not being afraid. That's just kind of insanity or whatever. And and I don't think I'm not questioning Willie Agata's bravery at all. But what I saw in his eyes, and I'd be curious to see if, if he if he backs this up. You guys ever seen like, uh, you know, you, you don't want to throw a ball across the street in traffic uh, if there is uh, any kind of Labrador retriever in the area, right? Because that lab is not going to see any cars coming whatsoever. It's only going to see that ball, and it's going to go after that ball with everything it's got because that's all it can process. Um, That kind of tunnel vision focus. And what I saw in Willie Agata's eyes is he attacked that header 
I don't think the thought that he might get hit by Dane St. Clair even crossed his mind. I think that man is so singularly focused on attacking that header with all he's got that that the consequences don't even occur to him. Right. Peripheral vision was not even a... Yeah, which is maybe even better than bravery because then you don't even flinch. He's just you know, so and, hungry. Yeah. Like, it is, I, like, it's like, he's, he's singularly focused. He's got one thing on his mind, and that's going and attacking that ball. Nate, I loved after the game how he's telling me, I mean, he's not even talking about the two goals. It's his birthday. I mean, most guys get a brace on their birthday, and they're like, this is the best night ever. He's like, I should have had three. Like, I, yeah. I keep getting these two goal games. Like, <laughs> I, I need to score, like, a hat trick. And I'm like, that, but. I love this for so many reasons. Number one, like you want your your number nine talking like right. that. You want 100%. that player to be so hungry around goal, to be so so honed in on just finding the back of the net, no matter what it takes, and and going up for for headers <laughs> like that. I mean, it's amazing. But what that's going to do, and you know, we'll talk um, later on in the show with our guest Tom Bogart about this because he he wrote about it. You know, with Alan Polito's return next year, and a lot of people have been like, well, how do you keep you know, will you got to off the field or do you, do you switch formations? How do you get both these guys out there at the same time? Or you just have some really damn good competition going on every yeah. single week. Good and that's only going to elevate the play. And Peter Vermees even said this last week that he believes that the best developer of talent is competition, not coaching. Because if your single goal is to get better than the guy in front of you or that's standing side by side, kind of in an equal position as you, that's going to push you in ways that no coach can do. You know, the thing about a guy that I love about, like, Agata, too, is, he, I, you know, I don't think he doesn't need to have a fire lit under his rear end because there's somebody pushing him. He's he's chasing a goal yeah. always. You know, and then to, just to carry that, that Labrador retriever, um, you know, analogy one step further, just what you said, when does a goal scorer get tired of scoring goals? Mm-hmm. You know, when does he ever get, you know, if he's hungry for goals, when is he ever full? The answer is never. He's insatiable, right? And that's like my, my sister had a dog named Newman that lived for you to throw him a tennis ball, right? And <laughs> if you threw him a tennis ball a 100 times in a 100-degree heat, he would still chase that ball until he fell down dead. He was never going to stop. Yeah. You know, you had to finally take the tennis ball away from him and tell him, you're done for a while, pal. <laughs> and and that is that's what you want in your goal scorer. You want a guy who's never had enough goals. Yeah, I got a brace on my birthday. Should have had three. Yeah. You know, right. and, and and I think that's what they got with Willie Agata right now. And on that note, guys, let's take a break so we have enough time to talk. Because we got – you're right, Allie. Big questions coming up for Sporting Kansas City in the offseason. Let's see what somebody like Tom Bogert thinks about it as we continue right after this on the Sporting Kansas City show on Sports Radio 810 WHB presented by Michelob Ultra. Sporting KC fans take pride in supporting the team both home and away. When flying to away matches to cheer on the team, or anywhere for that matter, check out the Kansas City International Airport's new terminal progress at buildkci.com. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Of course, wherever you get your podcasts as well, we appreciate you downloading and streaming the content, writing some great reviews for us, uh, maybe starting a blog to tell everyone how great the podcast is, whatever you can to get the word out there. We appreciate it. And, of course, have yourself an ice-cold Michelob Ultra while you're at it. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be worth talking to our next guest because we always enjoy talking to Tom Bogart, 
MLS insider, U.S. men's national team insider, and we've got a boatload of stuff to talk about on both fronts with him today. Tom, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very good. That was a really good after that after that intro. So yeah, let's get after. It. Hey, we we like to try to butter our guests up as best as possible before <laughs> we get into the stuff. Before we take you apart on all the stuff you had to say about Sporting Kansas City. No, I'm 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 kidding. We we do have some great content that you wrote at MLSsoccer.com that uh, that we're going to get to in a moment. But uh, just some overall thoughts quickly for us. We just spent the last segment talking about how boy. Sporting Kansas City didn't get uh, – they didn't fail to make the playoffs this year. They ran out of time. That's how it feels around Kansas City. And I honestly walked – as they won that game against Minnesota over the weekend but got bounced from the playoffs in the process, my refrain to everybody that night was, boy, every other team in the West is really glad this team isn't going to the playoffs because this would be one of those teams that's a lower-seeded team that you just do not want to play. Is that how the rest of the league sees it right now in terms of are they recognizing what Sporting Kansas City looks like now compared to maybe what they did for the uh, balance of the spring and summer? Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far, right? Like, again, they, they I think my biggest compliment to this team and to, you know, Peter Vermees as, as if, you know, you know, earlier in the season people were asking questions of the job, which is just ludicrous to me. This is a guy who should be able to walk away on his terms whenever he wants. But regardless, like, how many other teams have you seen in MLS history dead and buried, like, after the Open Cup semifinal loss. Like, that's backbreaking. You're, you're talking about it. All right, like, we're pretty yeah. far away from the playoff race. Had a disaster start to the season. All these injuries. Hey, maybe we can win the Open Cup. The Open Cup is a loss. From that moment on, realistically, you could try to talk yourself into a playoff comeback. But, like, you know, people are realistic enough that, like, it's season's pretty much over. How many teams just lay over and die? How many teams have we seen that go, you know, one win, 11 losses, and three draws that are just so easy to play against. Mm-hmm. Like, Sporting Kansas City have been a tough out. They've been playing spoiler down the stretch here. Every game they play have, has been difficult. You know, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, like, I don't know, Austin FC would be really worried about playing in the playoffs because under that kind of context, every playoff game is difficult, every playoff team is tough. It was, you know, I, I think it's funny that they've been playing so much better down the stretch than, like, Toronto has, and everybody was, you know, particularly Toronto beat Charlotte FC at home one time, and people were crowning them, like, Wow, if they get in the playoffs, they might be one of the favorites. You don't want to play them. And it's like, yeah, well, then they lost 4 nothing, 4 3, 3 1, all these, like, they just dropped games at the game. So it's funny that not enough people are talking about Sporting Kansas City for what they've done. And again, I'm not going to go as far as to say, oh, my God, nobody would have wanted to play them in the playoffs. But, like, full credit commending what they've done down the stretch to not just lay over and die, as it would have been so easy to do. And, of course, you know, the the rise of sporting over the last few weeks has been in conjunction with the new additions. Willie Agata, Eric Tommy really helping not just elevate um, what sporting's done with their own contributions, but with everyone else involved in the game. They've really elevated the entire team. Um, and, you know, while the offense is gotten a lot better. The defense has also really shored things up in recent weeks. Tom, you wrote a a great piece kind of looking ahead for sporting in 2023. And the second point that you kind of brought up, you know, is there going to be a complete teardown? You mentioned some of the players who have been a a key part of this sporting team over the last decade, Um, but also, you know, mentioned Andre Ufantas and the defense as well. In your estimation, what would be the biggest move uh, that you would want to see sporting Kansas City make Based on what you've seen towards the end of this season, of course, anticipating the returns of Alan Polito and Gotti Kinda, like what areas do you see Sporting needing to go out and maybe make the biggest splash ahead of next season? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely center back and like that spine of defense. Um, I think 
Remy Voltaire has been better as a number six, which, you know, if you asked me this a month ago, I would have said number six because Kansas City, they couldn't plan for Alan Polito injury and Gotti Kim. That's two DPs not giving you any minutes. Regardless if you say they're injury prone, regardless of what you say, you can't plan for that. Nobody can, and, and that's just brutal luck for them. But what you can plan for is coming into the season with your number six being Jose Mari, who was substituted on in the opening day, substituted off, and never seen from again. They had to have had an idea that he wasn't going to be the guy. And then the backup being Uri Rozell, who hasn't played 1,500 minutes in MLS since, like, 2013. Like, that was pretty – you know, that was avoidable. The number six would have been the kind of first thing I would point out. But if they believe that Remy Voltaire is better there than playing as number eight, then you have Voltaire, uh, Kinda, and Eric Tommy as kind of a Mitchell trio. That's solid. I still think that they're going to need to sign a number, another number six, but it's not as much of a need as it was, I think, a month ago. Center back is where it's at. Like, I had Andreo Fontas in my best 11 last year. And I might have even had him for defender of the year or at least on the ballot. Um, yeah, he's fallen off really hard. Uh, Nicholas Ismiat-Marine, like, he, he's up to 24 starts this year, which is kind of an improvement on, you know, his stop start 2021 with all the injuries. They need, like, a lockdown center back. Like, they haven't – like, again, Fontas showed it for a one-year sample last year, but they haven't had that since, like, Capara left. So, again, center back is going to be super important. And, they, they, you know, they might go out and get two new starters. Who knows? Depends on what, you know, the cap looks like. I know that they, they squeezed every last, you know, dollar of allocation, every last bit of flexibility to bring in Eric Tommy and Willie Agata during the season this year. So I don't know what the books look like. I don't know exactly who's going to be back, who's not going to be back. But I imagine that that first priority is going to be a center back. Well, they're on the sporting have been picking up points, Tom, the last uh, load of weeks. But a lot of teams around them have, have been dropping points, especially in the West. Uh the likes of LA Galaxy, Minnesota, Portland, Nashville. Is there anyone around there, around the playoff lane at the minute that you're kind of worried for? It would have been Real Salt Lake, but they're technically below the line right now, and the Galaxy have a game in hand, so if they pick up points, then they, they kind of get out of that even steep tie because the Galaxy have a tiebreaker. Yeah, I've been saying, I have been saying Real Salt Lake for a while. Um, look, the talent efficiency caught up with them. You know, Pablo Mastrani has done a great job. It's like, this team shouldn't have been where they were all season. And they've kind of slowly slid down, but you know, again, because they're already below the playoff line, it's surprising. Like again, I've been saying since Bakai Debasi got injured, I, I won't take Minnesota seriously as like a contender until that they prove it. Because I think that he's such a good player, and they don't have anybody who remotely does what he does, kind of to step in. And again, that that was kind of their strength off the spine with him, uh, Boxall, and then obviously Reynoso as their best player. They haven't looked the same. They haven't won since since he got hurt, and the fact that. Like, this team is only two points above the playoff line right now. Again, I think that they're, they have enough to be a playoff team. I didn't think that the free fall was going to be this bad, even when I thought that, that they were going to struggle. So, they're only two points ahead of Real Salt Lake. Vancouver Whitecaps never say die, apparently. Like, it, it, it's Kansas City and the Whitecaps are kind of the two teams for me that are below the playoff line that I think, man, like, if it came together a little sooner in Sporting Kansas City's case, or with the Whitecaps, if they, they also had their injuries. And also, have Vanny Sartini was just, overcomplicating things. Mm-hmm. Like, what would these two teams, like, let's say Willie Agata and Eric Tommy were here from the beginning of the season. Kansas City are probably a playoff team. Like, what if Vancouver stopped uh, tinkering with the lineup and, and doing, you know, these, like, galaxy brain bad decisions? Would they be above the playoff line? Like, there's so many kind of what-ifs that you go through a season. I know it's not fair every single team can do that, but those are the two teams in the West that I was like, man, like, what if a month earlier they kind of found their best form and what would it look like right now? We're visiting with Tom Bogart. Okay, final question for you on on the MLS side of things before we we take a break and and move over to the U.S. men's national team. On your three questions about sporting Kansas City going forward, you mentioned 
now this kind of, I guess, good problem to have, which is you brought in this Willie Agata, who seems to be uh, an incredible option at the number nine, but you also stand to get Alan Polito back next year. I'm curious not to tell, not to ask you what you would do if you were sporting Kansas City, mm-hmm. although if you'd like to tell us, I'd, I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it, but, but more just like how you handicap the options that they have. Because I look at it and wonder – well, what could you get for Alan Polito, considering what he's coming off of over the past two years? If you decided to move on from him, um, I guess you could free up the designated player spot, but is there that much of a market for him? Are you better off, you know, trying to get the most out of him in that contract? You're just kind of, what do you see in terms of just the options that Sporting Kansas City have in that regard? I, I think that you only try to get rid of him and actively try to move on is if you have a target whatever position it is um, for that DP spot. So I think the only argument I think against it, because again, like people forget in 2020 in the pandemic shortened season, like Toledo was really good and he, he did things that unlocked his team. You know, I know Vermees is an ideologue for the four, three, three, so we won't see it, but like Toledo is such a smart and, and technical and talented player that him and Agata would make a lot of sense in a, in a two, two striker formation. Again, I know that that's not how Vermees and the staff wants to play, but that's something that could work. Um, again, I think Toledo is extremely talented, Going into a contract year, that always helps. Um, but it is the opportunity cost of one of three DP spots. Again, we saw, which is making, uh, making the points of without Polito and, and Gotti Kinda, those are two DP spots. Like, no, how many teams in the league could have recovered when they're starting DP number nine, starting DP number 10 out for the season? So then if you're handicapping yourself with, okay, we think Polito is going to be second choice, then it comes to the opportunity cost. So it all goes back to if they had a target and they had the budget, they had, you know, I guess a couple targets to make sure. Then you, then you kind of look to actively move on to Lilo. I think he's still got a market in Mexico. You're probably not going to get much in terms of your investment on a transfer fee and stuff, but that would be secondary. The point would be to open the DB spot. If you don't think that you have one, or if, again, like they would need to bring in another forward anyway, because, again, Willie God has been fantastic. He's been, you know, a breath of fresh air. He's been so much fun. His profile, it's not the same as, like, Alan Polito or somebody like another, you know, high-level number nine in this league, like, this is the first year that he's, like, really performing really well and at a higher level. Like, the Israeli league does not track very well to MLS. Like, they've gone and gotten Gotti Kinn and Willie Agata, so they're doing well. But prior to this, like, he scored 15 goals in the, in the Israeli second tier. Other than that, he had scored five goals as a career high. So, like, the worry there is if you get rid of Polito and say, all right, Willie Agata's the guy, and I, I do genuinely believe in Willie Agata, but you got to kind of be careful. What happens if next year he doesn't quite look the same, or what if he doesn't hold up for 34 games, though? So, I like the idea of having them both, but again, it comes down to just the uniqueness of MLS. It's not, it's not a binary. It's not in a vacuum decision. It's, you need to weigh the context of, okay, are we good enough if we don't get anything out of the CP spot? Or where could we be using the CP spot? So it's a lot of plates for them to spin. But, you know, generally speaking, I'd bring Polito back um, unless you had a slam dunk target, like a number six or, or somebody else that you wanted to use that spot on that, that you know, this would be restricting from. You gotta be careful when it comes to Agata. That's the kind of wordsmith we have on our hands right now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, with Tom Bogert. Unbelievable stuff. Okay, and, and I think you laid that out very well. And I, I think a lot of us are thinking, man, you daydream a little bit about having that depth, especially with the with this competition with the Liga MX coming in next year. You might even need more depth than you have in the past. To have yep. both those guys on the roster is pretty tasty if they're both healthy, but we'll see how Sporting Kansas City decides to manage that whole situation. All right, Tom, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to shift our focus to the U.S. men's national team, our last two chances to watch this team play in friendlies. 
before the World Cup arrives in November. Right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening and downloading and subscribing and liking and all those things. And we appreciate Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. They uh, present our show every week. And we're still visiting with Tom Bogert. We're going to shift over to the U.S. men's national team now, Tom. And, I, I, look, I know that this is what you're supposed to do if you're a U.S. men's national team fan. You're supposed to log on to Twitter. You're supposed to express outrage at whatever European-based player did not make the roster, whenever that roster comes out. So I'll make sure we get to that at some point. But in all seriousness, are there any major roster decisions that that I'm not even going to say um, rubbed you the wrong way or got you, but just that maybe got your attention, that stood out to you for this last round of friendlies. It's clear that Berhalter and the staff believe in Ricardo Pepe's potential ahead of everybody else at that center forward group. You don't call in a center forward who at the time hadn't scored a goal in a year <laughs> without believing in, okay, this is a projection for the future because this clearly isn't rewarding him perform right now. Again, when you had Jordan P. folks scoring the goals that he's doing for Union Berlin, you have Brandon Vasquez doing what he's doing at MLS. Insert, I guess, anybody else that you might want to plug in. He, they took Ricardo Pepe because they believe that this is the most talented potential projection, and they wanted to give him a chance to, you know, hey, this is your last chance to win your spot. You know, he scored for FC Groningen. This was after the, uh, the roster was announced. But, yeah, for me, it was that center forward and the kind of surprise uh, that Pepe came in again ahead of P. Folk or ahead of Brandon Vasquez. I get it. I do believe that people genuinely has a real chance to make this roster. I, I think that it just comes down to they know what he is. They know what he isn't. So I don't know. Maybe there wasn't a value to having him in the camp right now, particularly if he's on the bubble. Maybe give Pepe a chance to prove that he's been better, that he is better than what he's shown over the past, you know, six to nine months. Um, so I guess, you know, you can talk yourself into that rationale. But, you know, if I was a player, I, I could see why you'd be pissed off. You watch people scoring goals and Pepe's not. And it's like, well, if that's what, like, what's, what does it matter what I do if, if we're not really we're always rewarding form? And that's always how it's going to be. Uh, coaches are going to try to fit their game model. So, yeah, center forward is definitely the big takeaway. Tom, a lot of uh, key injuries kind of popping up ahead of these friendlies as well. Is there one that maybe concerns you more than the others, or is this just in your estimation? Hey, good opportunity for some other guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at it as, as a latter point. But for Chris Richards, like, is this, is this who he is? Is this a guy who's just going to be hurt all the time? It, it seems like any time he's gained a little bit of momentum, he gets hurt. And, again, this isn't his fault. It is what it is. That just means that he's going to be behind the eight ball in terms of, you know, I think he's, he's a lot to make the roster as long as he's fit at this point. But moving forward, that might change. Like, Aaron Long has the absolute golden opportunity to prove that he should be starting game one mm-hmm. at the World Cup next to Walker Zimmerman. And, like, Richards probably should have had this first opportunity given what, what he's done. Again, his potential, his ceiling, his talent to prove that, hey, he's the long-term fit next to Zimmerman, I mean, short-term and long-term. And he just gets hurt again. It, it, it's just what it is. This is what his entire career has been like. His, he, he spent a year on loan at Hoffenheim. I think he played like 15 or 18 games. He was supposed to be their starting center back. He was out with injury. Now he, uh, he was just starting to get the starting center back job during World Cup qualifying with the national team, broke his foot. Again, this, these aren't his fault. This just is what it is. But it goes down to you have to kind of go with the guys who are, I guess, more reliable. And, again, this sounds like an anti- Chris Richards thing, it's not. It just is what it is. And if he's not here, he's not going to get those chances. So it, it is a golden opportunity for Aaron Long to get that starting job. You know, Cameron Carter-Vickers is another guy who's out. I didn't even know that he was kind of carrying a knock 
So Mark McKenzie and Eric Palmer Brown, this is a golden opportunity for them to make the team. Like, looking at this roster, they were absolutely on the outside looking in because they weren't called into this roster. You kind of had your group of four center backs, and I guess Reggie Cannon was ahead of James Sands as, like, the fifth emergency center back. McKenzie and Palmer Brown were likely to not make this World Cup roster. Now they have a chance in this week to play two friendlies. And honestly, again, like, if, if Aaron Long doesn't prove that he's the starting center back next to Zimmerman, not only are Palmer Brown and McKenzie fighting to make the team, they might even have a chance to start that first game. So there's a lot of moving parts at center back next to Walker Zimmerman. Thank God that Walker Zimmerman has been a pillar of consistency and, and availability. So, you know, it's not completely doom and gloom. But, yeah, it's a rotating door next uh, just as where centre back is concerned, Tom, my guy Cameron Carter Vickers, this is, uh, I mean, this was kind of his chance to show what he can do. I, mean, I watch him every week, and with, without him playing for Celtic at the minute, there's a huge gaping hole in the central defence. I think he's very underrated. But was, was this kind of his chance? Because he hasn't played too much uh, for the US, and other players around him have played more. Do you think, with him not being in these squads, do you think there is a chance that he'd make the squad? For the World I Cup, think he right? still has a chance to make the. I still think he has a chance to make the squad. But when um when I was learning about the Chris Richards injury and he was going out, it was kind of before it was announced. I'm hearing from sources that like, hey, like Chris Richards out. I'm at Palmer Brown might be in, and I'm, I'm like trying to look into it. This is from the New York Giants game, by the way. I'm, I'm having a Bud Light in you know the literal <laughs> last row of the stadium, and I'm texting people about, hey, like I heard Palmer Brown's in. So my my immediate thought, because I only thought that it was Richards out and and Palmer Brown in. And I was like, oh, like, I guess Cameron Carter-Vickers is going to have a real chance to earn a starting spot here. And then U.S. Soccer put out the uh, announcement, and it was like, oh, Cameron Carter-Vickers is also hurt. I was like, oh, man, like, that sucks. Like, I was looking forward to seeing him kind of get this chance. Like, I don't think the door's closed for him for the roster. Again, like, now it's out of his hands would probably be too far. But now McKenzie and Palmer Brown have a chance to, like, show, hey, like, we're as good as CCV. Maybe we should get a chance to be on the squad. So there's a lot of moving parts like these. These things are going to come down to the wire, and it'll come down to some MLS players getting that, you know, the, the non-window camp, see if anybody can kind of work their way into the group. So, yeah, it's a lot of fluidity going on right now. I, I wouldn't rule anything out. I just, I just want to put into perspective the conversation that we're having right now, Tom. And first of all, this is when you know you have good chemistry on your – I had a list of things I was going to ask you, and I'm a Celtic fan too, but I knew that my ginger-haired uh, Belfast native Connell McCourt was going to beat me to the Cameron Carter-Vickers point. But, but, but let, let's put this in perspective for a second. We're talking about a 24-year-old, possibly uh, – MVP caliber player at a club the size of Celtic who is playing in the is starting in Champions League matches and we're talking about whether or not he's going to make the roster for the US men's national team at what point in American history would that sentence have been said before this current group of players yeah, and if you try to get that question off ahead of him, I think you would have gotten two-footed. So that was a smart business decision. <laughs> to go keep things moving. Um, but, yeah, like that, it, it, it's a great perspective to have. It's like the, the pool of talent is wild. And we haven't even mentioned James Sands. He's playing for right. Rangers in mm-hmm. the Champions League as well and in Scotland at a big club. And not only was he not on the roster, he wasn't even two, the next two called up. He's like, what, seventh or eighth on the depth chart right now? Like there is so much talent to choose from. It is a great problem to have. It, you know, it gives all these arguments, these debates from people. I think this player should come in. I think that player should come in. And I've been able to take a step back as well and be like, we're arguing about like roster spot, like depth chart of the pool from like number 24 to number 30. Like these guys would be like six to 12 at any other generation in the mm-hmm. U.S. national team history. Like U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team history, of course. Uh, like it, it, it's really awesome. It's a really, it's a real golden era. It like 
it allows Berhalter to make decisions that we might disagree with because he might be prioritizing a game model or what who fits his group rather than, okay, I got to collect the best 23 players, scratch and claw to get every single person here, then we'll kind of figure it out. So, like, it's, it's really encouraging and it's really impressive and it speaks to the development of soccer in this country and the, you know, development of the players being able to go abroad and get the development there because they're not just overlooking American talent because they're American. So, like, well, okay, I want to take us down a different road in just a moment. But, I mean, when it comes to Berhalter's job, like, let's say he, you know, he puts together his roster based on the, the players that fit his system. Well, like, let's say it doesn't work and guys, you know, miss out on, on making the roster. Like, because the, because they have this, you know, good problem right now with all of this talent, mm-hmm. like, if the, the players put together don't work, like, does that make Burhalter's job, like, does that make the hot seat more likely to come by if things don't work out? Because it's like, well, you know, you had all the players, you just didn't put them together the right way. 100% with more talent, with more uh, options comes more responsibility and more pressure. His contract and the contracts of the assistant coaches, they're only through this World Cup. There is no guarantee that he'll still be here. Um, you know, these, these come in cyclical natures. A lot, some people would argue that on the international game, not just with the United States, but at any country, it's best to have coaches just take the four-year cycle and then move on and get another fresh perspective in there. I don't know what the plan is here. Obviously, Bruce Arena was here for longer. Bob Bradley was here for a little bit longer. Klinsman would have been here for longer if, if they didn't kind of stumble during qualifying. So that hasn't been the MO of the U.S. soccer. But again, like if, he, if they don't perform well, if they look bad, if they don't get out of the group stage, whatever the barometer is that has been set internally, he and his staff won't be back. Part of the reason why, like, Luchi Gonzalez, um, you know, felt comfortable to take the San Jose job because he's like, you know, my, my contract is up. There was no guarantee that Berhalter is going to be back. And if Berhalter is not back, like, I'm probably not going to be back, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I, yeah. I need to kind of look out for myself. And who knows what happens next? He could have gone and been an assistant with Berhalter wherever his next job is if he indeed left. But there's just so many things in the air. And that's what it is, man. The World Cup is the, the most pressure. It is the biggest event in international soccer and soccer in general. So, yeah, like the seat is going to be red hot. Plus, like he's going to be dumped out, like in um, you know, Doctor Evo and and you know, the Austin Powers movie where he's just pressing the button. All right, like you didn't get out of the group stage. Like, bang, like all right, next <laughs> guys. And I, at at the risk of getting two footed by Connell here, I'm jumping in because I got <laughs> I, I have something to tell you guys. And this 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 is everybody listen up. We have no choice. If this <laughs> if this midfield if this midfield is healthy. And I'm talking Musa McKinney Adams, the MMA midfield. If that midfield is healthy, this team is going to perform incredibly well at this World Cup. This Greg Berhalter has something that in many ways is beyond his control. He has a group of players that genuinely like each other, that are genuinely excited about the opportunity to play together for the national team. They haven't been corrupted and withered and worn down by playing for their national team for too long, which you see happen all over the world with national teams, right? They, there is a youthful energy and confidence. They are not afraid of the big stage, and they have by far the most important thing that any team, whether it's Croatia making a run in the World Cup or that France team, I'm not putting them on that category, but I'm just saying any team that performs well at the World Cup they have a legit nails midfield, and they got the pieces around it. I'm just here to tell you guys, this national team is going to perform well at the World Cup. That, that's not even a question, Tom. You just respond however I you want. I, I'm saying it with supreme confidence. I'm with you there. And, like, you know how we got bogged down from last, what feels like since Cuba. It's like just CONCACAF game after CONCACAF game after CONCACAF game. They all blend mm-hmm. together because it's in the same kind of federation, uh, the same kind of area. 
there's some similar styles. And then you take a step back. Like, I think this team is going to be so much better suited to playing at, at the World Cup against some of these European teams, some South, uh, South American teams, because they're, like, the best qualities of some of these of the best players, of Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, Musa. it's transition. Like, we have so many players who are mm-hmm. going to be just killers in transition. And you can't play that when you're playing Honduras because, like, Honduras <laughs> would get torn to shreds if, if you try to stay up the field. So they – they did really well at making the game difficult and insert any concave. Even Mexico was doing this to the United States. Like, they were giving them respect of, like, all right, like, we're not going to try to get give you space to run into. So I think that they'll have that more so at the World Cup. And, look, England obviously have a ton more quality. They're going to be favorites in that game. But the United States will have players. They will have more opportunities to kind of get out on the run, get out in transition, and let some of these extremely talented players. Like, again, McKinney, his best thing is his engine and his aerial ability. Like, when they when they did the friendlies against uh, Morocco and and, um, uh, and Uruguay, like McKinney, when he came on for his limited minutes, was playing as like um, a more advanced midfielder, but not in like a traditional number ten type. It was more of a like use your engine and use your like incredible dynamism to be like a late arriving runner into the box. And like there's just that kind of style suits all of these players so well. And like I'm really looking forward to seeing that in games that again where they're not going to be expected to have 65% possession and just try to break teams down in a low block. Like, they're going to be able to, as long as they can defend well enough and keep the game level, they're going to have a ton of chances to run in transition. And again, Pulisic, that's where he's at his best. Reyna can do a lot of things great. He's really good. Like, think of that run against Mexico. Like, I'm really Mm -hmm. excited and I'm really optimistic about that kind of difference in in opponents that we're going to be playing. Tom, we're excited to read your coverage of all of it, man. Thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you guys so much. Always got time for you. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you, Tom. One of the best right there, Tom Bogert. We'll be back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show right after this. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. All right, back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts and presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Guys, no game to preview this weekend. It's just watching the U.S. national team, and I saw people griping about the fact it's going to be a bright and early kickoff on Friday morning. Some people were debating whether it's better to kick off a game. If you're a fan, if you want to watch a game super late at night or super early in the morning. And, Connell, I'm guessing the fact that you have a newborn in uh, in your house is going to have you come down on my side, which is bring on all the early morning kickoffs you want. I'm up anyway. Yep. Uh, but if you're Ali Trost and you're newlywed <laughs> and you're you're just in the process of house hunting and everything, you probably want the late night game. Is that where we all come down on this? I actually am going to disagree because, I'll, you know, in our jobs, like a lot of us, you know, we work night like games and things like that. I'd rather like, you know, have my my Friday night to do. And, and hopefully if the game goes well, you know, you kind of set the tone for the day. Mm-hmm. Now, the flip side of that okay. is, you know, I think it's a little easier to go to bed with a bad taste in your in your mouth. You wake up and it's a new day and you can start fresh, whereas you, you get up early and maybe the game doesn't go the way you wanted it to. And that kind of puts a sour start to the day. So I'll go morning. But it, it, I guess it just depends on what's going on that weekend. But working nights, I think I'd rather take a morning game as long as I didn't have to work too late the night before. Yeah, I'm more I'm mornings all day as well, hundred percent. And we're used to it, you know. To me, like my my mornings on the weekends involve me waking up early and watching some English Premier League or Scottish League or German League, whatever. So, uh, seven twenty-five a.m. on Friday, 
Japan and the United States. Yeah, that's not. That's but a it, late it kickoff Friday for us. morning as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's an hour and a half later than sometimes what we're used to. That's going to be on ESPN two, and that is a that is a World Cup opponent in in Japan, and then Saudi Arabia versus the United States on Tuesday of next week, the twenty seventh, one o'clock in the afternoon on FS one, guys, and then. It's just a countdown to the World Cup coming up in November. Can you guys wait? I mean, I'm just. I'm so excited. <sighs> and the, the official roster uh, will come out November 9th. So just a lot of things to to look forward to over the next few weeks as we get closer. But, um, man, it just it, it's finally like it's here. We've been talking about this for so long, and it's just it's really exciting. Should we mention the jersey? Okay, I was going to say, I mean, yes, some of the players aren't no. too happy with it. I personally, like the tie-dye, the blue ones, I, I'm a fan yeah. of those. But I don't know, There's is there something to the look good, play good? Because if that's the case, these guys aren't too happy, at least in some of the comments I've read. See, the blue one looks like like a U.S. shirt that you would buy from like TJ Maxx. It's like, oh, we're going for the, you know, like not a, I don't know. I, the tie-dye is becoming more popular, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen As, it on... Uh, Here's there, there, there's I've said this my piece too many times on the kit. There's a slam dunk in front of the United States just waiting to happen, which is the Where's Waldo, uh, red and white stripes <laughs> with the blue shorts. It literally is the American flag. I mean, it's it encompasses the American flag. The great countries in the world have kits that you recognize, and Nike and Adidas find a way to tweak them a little bit, and they don't have any problem selling kits. When you watch Brazil play, you know it's Brazil. When you watch Argentina play, you know it's Argentina. When you watch the Netherlands and they're all orange from head to toe, you know it's them. The United States has a unique kit just waiting for them. And just like Celtic does, Connell, with the hoops, they tweak the hoops a little bit every year, but it's the hoops. Mm -hmm. That's all the United States needs to do. Come up with whatever secondary kit you want to come up with. That should be their kit every single year, and it's bizarre that they don't do it, and I have spoken. I agree. No, <laughs> Nate, that was very well said. It's hard to and argue with as a new girl. Arsenal fan, I actually think that every club should be required to have a, a, a pink kit option is, as well. This is becoming like an Arsenal, Arsenal jersey. This is becoming like an Arsenal podcast here. I'm kind of getting Well, not out. yet. I, I've still got a, a lot to learn. But I, I am, I would say, maybe a good luck charm because top of the table, baby. And... Mm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bandwagon fan to some, but I'd say a good luck charm. For well, myself. and I'm here to bridge the gap between Arsenal and Celtic. I'm just like Keegan Tierney. Uh, I've got the Celtic tat on one leg and the Arsenal tat on the other. That's a deep cut. Most of our audience has no idea who that man is, but he tucks his shirt in, and sometimes he plays a great fullback. Uh, and that's going to do it for us today. For Connell McCord and for Ali Trost and Tom Bogart, thanks for listening to this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show.